The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this land. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house were spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought to his treasure. Tabernacle. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, we're certainly glad that you're here uh, with us today. The story that you just heard is the culmination of the siege, and what you've just heard is the fall of Jericho. And just to kind of put us in context for us, where we are in the story is God had promised uh, the children of Israel this great land, this land of Canaan. It's a literal land, but for us as Christians, it's also a spiritual land. Land. It's a spiritual promise. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of rest. It's a place of promise. And so for us, it's, it's the life that is promised to us in Christ. That those who have received Christ, those who have a relationship with God can experience His life and His blessing and His love right now. But the problem was for the children of Israel and the problem for us is strongholds protect this land from our receiving it, for, from, from our capturing it or taking it, right? So God can promise it, but the stronghold where enemies reside, that's what stands in the way. And so for the children of Israel, that was this stronghold, this fortress called Jericho. 
And God had given specific commands for how this fortress, this stronghold, was to be taken. Specifically, he had said that we're going to take the army and the Ark of the Covenant, this golden box that represents the presence of God, and we're going to take some priests, seven of them to be exact, that are all blowing on ram's horns, and we're going to make a lap around this stronghold once a day for six days. And then on this seventh day, the story that Isabel just read for us, on this day we're going to march around seven times, and the weapons we're going to fight with is on the seventh time we're going to shout really loud and blow the ram's horns. And so according to God's word, by shout and by tuba, the walls fall. It's pretty cool. You know, now some people will try to come up with... uh, uh, you know, little theories that, well, it was the, it was the marching of their feet every day that weakened those walls. Uh, I don't think so. You know, it was the shout and it was the, it, it was something in the decibels and the horns that made those walls crack. I don't think that's even possible. Some others have been, well, it was an earthquake. Possibly. But whether it was the tubas or the marching or an earthquake or God just went, Did God not predict it and did it not happen? And so the walls of Jericho fall down after seven laps. The other thing is let's not get, uh, let's not get distracted by, well, why was it once a day for six days? And then on the seventh day it was seven. We do, are we supposed to multiply those numbers, add them? Some sort of numerology? Am I supposed to look up the Da Vinci code while I'm at it? Let's not go there either. Okay? It's about obedience. God has his reasons for once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to take seven laps. But the point is, is that in faith, they believed and in faith, they obeyed and in faith, they shouted. And when they did and they blew on those ram's horns, it says that the walls fell flat. And it was the beginning of a great victory. Now, archaeologists uh, uh, have spent some time trying to figure out where Jericho is, and they believe they kind of have an idea. They believe that, you know, there's several ruins of different cities there, and, and, and they think that they found where Jericho was. And this is the cool thing. Let's just geek out for a second. Is they found that there's two layers of walls, just like it's been described, an outer wall and then an inner wall. And for some reason, the archaeologists are like, you know, the walls of this ancient city fell inward. Huh. Now, remember, Jericho was an elevated city, and the scriptures told us that the walls fell flat, and they went up straight into the city. Well, if walls fall inward, what do you have? Two God-made ramps that the armies, which had surrounded this town, went up and in. The second thing the archaeologists found is this city is rather strange because it didn't burn and then the walls fell. The walls fell and then it was burned. And the Christians are over here going, I know, I know, I know, it's right here, it's right here. And they're like, no, surely not. Take your silly book and go away. And then they say this ancient city that we believe is Jericho. What's interesting is though all of the walls fell, one part of the wall, the outer wall to be exact, didn't fall. Wonder why that happened. Can anybody guess? You can't guess? Wow, you guys are acting like Saturday night church right here. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. Remember that Rahab had hidden the spies. 
By faith, she had hidden these two spies that had come in from Joshua's army. And she said, my life for yours, remember this. And they said, be it on our heads if this doesn't happen. Leave a red cord outside your window and we'll make sure that you and everyone in your house is saved. And it's interesting that they found an ancient city with all the walls caved in, but one part of the outer wall still standing. Remember where Rahab's house was? It was on the outer wall. That's where a prostitute's house would be. And so that's what we read in the story, that in this complicated military exercise, God gave them victory. They went straight up into the city. They sent one detachment to go get Rahab because they had promised her And she is saved, she and everyone in her family. And they're brought to the camp. They're brought first to the outside the camp because they needed to be purified, but eventually they're absorbed in to the family of God, to the children of Israel, to those tribes. She marries into that tribe. Remember who Rahab was? She becomes not just one of the people of Israel, she becomes one of the ancestors of Christ himself. It's a pretty cool story. So it's a great victory and God had given specific instructions of taking of this stronghold. He had said everything is to be destroyed. Everything. Keep none of it for yourself. Take no prisoners. The only exceptions are the things that can't be burned or killed. Gold, silver, bronze, iron. And those metals that couldn't be killed or burned and destroyed were to be set aside for the Lord's treasury. They weren't to take livestock. They weren't to take food. They weren't to, you know, break into a store and get a Louis Vuitton purse. I don't know where that came from. Lost all respect from all the people of northern Michigan because I know who Louis Vuitton is, right? And they were to take no prisoners. And this stronghold is wiped out in the land of Canaan. The doors have been flung wide open. Now that's what literally happened. And spiritually for us, that's the same promise. We're promised real life and we're promised blessing and we're promised, John 10, 10, this abundant life. But the strongholds, the Jerichos of our hearts need to be eradicated. We need to be ruthless with them. Because the strongholds of sin in my heart, that's what keeps me from experiencing everything God has for me. Well, I can make those spiritual applications all day. The problem is, is there's a part of my head that says, wait a minute. It's the literal part that I'm struggling with. Did they really kill everyone? We can't ignore that. We shouldn't ignore that. How do we justify that? How do I come to the moral justification... That it was okay for God to command these people to kill everyone. In fact, where we're going to dial in and spend our time today is in verse 21. This this is the problematic verse. And we're not going to dodge it. We're going to deal straight head on with it. It says in verse 21, they completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats. And donkeys. They took no prisoners. How is that right? What does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about his character? What does that tell us about our relationship with God? Are we going to be called to do that? 
Are we going up to Traverse City and taking a little walk, doing some laps? No, don't do that yet. Don't do that ever. To put you in a padded cell. Okay, so there's a couple words that are going to be important for us to understand. Because verses like these are worth struggling with. Because we learn more about God. We learn more about His expectations for us. And they're instructive. I'm not going to lie to you. This sermon won't be easy. In fact, some of you may leave the message today with more questions than answers, and that's okay. Some of us are going to want to have some conversations with God and have it out. We're going to wrestle. We're going to struggle. That's good. He can take it. He's a for real God. And I encourage that struggle. I encourage those questions. I'm not living in fear. God can handle himself. God can defend himself. He needs no defending. So here are the words that maybe will guide that thought process. Words to marinate on and to chew on, to meditate on and think about. Here's the first word. It's one we've heard before, many of us. The word is sovereignty. Sovereignty. In fact, would you just say that? Say sovereignty. Sovereignty Sovereignty comes from the word sovereign. What I mean by that is God has sovereignty over everything he has made. And if we don't understand that, if we don't accept that, none of the rest of this story, none of the rest of this book will make sense to you. Sovereignty means that God is the absolute ruler and authority over everything. He made everything. It's His. He's the creator. He was the artist that painted it all into existence. And if He wants to say, ah, I'm not happy with it and tear it up as the artist, as the creator, it is His right. He is sovereign. Do you understand that? In fact, that's what happened in the book of Genesis, right? God created everything and he made it good. And then because of the wickedness inherited from our first father, Adam, and our first mother, Eve, it, was, it just got more and more vile, more and more wicked. And no one's hearts are obedient to God, which is expressed through love. And, and, and they're just going their own way. And so God decides, I'm going to start over and destroy everything everything? Well, I'm going to keep Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, and I'm going to keep two of every kind of living thing. I'm going to put them on a boat. You ever heard this story? Do you remember this, right? Really happened. And God did away with everything. Every human being that was walking the planet at that time was destroyed. And we decorate nurseries with it ever since. Sorry, sidebar. Do you ever think about that? They killed everyone. Put it on the wall where the babies are. (laughs) Noah's nursery. Yeah, we don't do that. Sorry. Silly things I think about. But God is sovereign. That means he's also, like it or not, the ruler over life and death. His complete authority. It's under his rule. Now, I want to be careful. Because then immediately we start to think, well, did God kill my loved one? No, God cannot do evil. All right? So we have to take all of God's character together. So God cannot do evil. God does not do evil. But God does give human beings free will, by which sometimes we use that to do evil. He may allow you to exercise your free will. He's a respecter of persons. 
Well, why does he let us do that? That's a dumb idea. No, because if he didn't do that, he wouldn't be loving. Loving is not forcing your will. Forcing your will to love is rape. God is not a divine rapist. And so he gives us free will. And so sometimes evil happens or the ripple effect, the consequences of evil happen. But he's still ruler over life and death. In Job chapter 1, Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The Lord can give life, the Lord can take away life. May the name of the Lord be praised. You see, for the Christian, that is the biblical perspective on the sovereignty of God over everything. The sovereignty of God over life and death, including Jericho. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In Exodus chapter 20, we learn... Didn't God say, thou shalt not kill? See, if I'm struggling with this, they completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. What does sovereignty have to do with thou shalt not kill? Well, because God is ruler and sovereign over life and death, God can tell us, here's the game plan, here's the rules for this thing called life. You shall not murder, is what it says in Exodus 20. In fact, there are are exceptions There is such a thing as a biblical justified killing. I don't even know I'm going here, but I think it's important for us to understand that because there's always one person that is like, no, we can't. Well, the Bible teaches Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. You find that under God's law, self-defense is justifiable killing. It is self-defense. Also capital punishment. I know we're not trying to get political. I'm just saying, look it up in the Old Testament. If, if you're going to murder people, if you're going to murder 15 people, if you're going to go to school and shoot people, as a deterrent, the Old Testament, you should be put to death. And that's loving. That's to preserve civilization. That's what it's there for. Doesn't mean there's not grace for you. Doesn't mean that you can't, you know, become a Christian before going to the electric chair. But it does mean that there are consequences to sin. So in self-defense, capital punishment, also just war is biblical. Nations have the right to defend their nation. Nations have the right to defend their interests. If they believe it's a threat to their nation, they have a right to do that. And that's not murder. And there's one more example given in the Bible. It's not murder if it's under divine command, as it was right here. God told them, go into Jericho and destroy everything except Rahab and her family. And the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron. And that's what they did. Divine command. Now, before you think this is where we get out the Kool-Aid, this is the only time we see God give that command, and to no one else has he ever given it. So if you're here this morning and you're pretty sure that God's given you that command, he hasn't, and we have a little white jacket for you. He hasn't, okay? That was old covenant, this is new covenant, this is a different time, different place. God is sovereign over life. He has that authority. Here's the second word to chew on. Justice. Justice. Justice is when we get what we deserve and none of us want God's justice. It's really easy for us in 2018 in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, where we all have a vote and we all have the Bill of Rights and we're fighting about our rights and our amendments and all that kind of stuff right now and we have a say and aren't we free? It's hard for us to understand a sovereign God God who's ruler over everything, who's perfectly just, 
perfectly holy. In him there is no sin. And when he comes out to judge sin, like he does in Jericho, using the Israelites and their swords, we say that is not fair. We don't get to do that. And we got to understand that the people of Jericho, the Canaanites, also called the Amorites, they were not innocent. Far from it. Far from it. And you could say, well, nobody's perfect, and that's true. But these people knew about this one true God. These people knew the promise had been given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. In fact, when God gave the promise to Abraham, one of the things he said is, your descendants will not take possession of the land for 400 years because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet fulfilled. God knew their hearts. He knew their wickedness. He knew they hadn't even reached the depths of their depravity yet. What kind of depravity? The kind of wickedness that had been a 400 year stench in the nostrils of God. All the time the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. They're just looking for the bottom of that sin barrel. And from history, from scripture, this is what we learn. Adultery, homosexuality, fornication, prostitution, temple prostitution, pedophilia, child prostitution, bestiality, child sacrifice to the god Molech. They were hell-bent on destroying the children of Israel. Sorcery, you name it, that was going on in Jericho. You got the picture? We got to draw pictures? We got it? They were not innocent. This was a wicked, violent, cruel people. And God's justice came for them. They had 400 years. God has a right to mete out his justice. You know, and it's interesting. We argue with God and say, well, how is that fair that we killed all those Canaanites in Jericho? We need to stop and remind ourselves who we are. All those sins I just listed, those happen in the United States today. All of them. Those sins I just listed, they happen in the state of Michigan today. In our towns and in our communities. In this one. Every single one of them. We are the citizens of Jericho. And God's justice is deserved. But there was also mercy. There was mercy in the story. Did you see the mercy? They took no prisoners, but they didn't kill everyone. Who wasn't killed? Rahab. Rahab wasn't killed. Rahab turned to God by faith. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, it was by faith she hid the spies. And it was by faith that she was saved. Because she believed in this God. Yeah, but she was a prostitute. She was one of the Canaanites. Yeah, but she turned at the right moment at the right time. And not only that, by implication, all of those who hid in her home, marked by that red cord out the window, the part of the wall that probably didn't fall, by faith they were saved. God showed mercy to them. Great mercy. 
So we can't look at Jericho and say, oh, I just can't believe in a God who would do that. This is a God that is just and we want him to be just. It's just we don't want him to be just with us. We want him to be just with our enemies, right? The good news is, is he's just for our enemies. And when his justice is coming for us, he shows mercy if we turn to him in faith. And God showed mercy in this story. Rahab turns to God and she has shown mercy and that detachment brought her out in everyone who was in her household. She's absorbed into the family of God. God showed mercy to her because of her faith. There's another example of mercy. The other example of mercy is, is, is God had a specific reason. One of the reasons that God had for eradicating Jericho. I believe it's because sin is contagious. And this vile and wicked people, if you leave any survivors, all they're going to do is take retribution out on your people for the next generations. They had to be wiped out. And if it wasn't because they would take their revenge, it's because their sin would infect. And if anything, this is merciful to us. It serves as a merciful reminder because we still think about the citizens of Jericho. God's showing mercy on everyone else. By saying, I'm going to use them as an illustration of how much I hate sin. See, that's the problem. God hates sin and we don't. And so sometimes in his mercy, he says, let me show you how much I hate sin. Jericho, kill everyone. Even the kids? Even the kids. Why? Because he hates sin. He hates the sin in literal Jericho, and he hates the sin in the Jerichos of my heart. And he wants us to deal ruthlessly with our sin. He doesn't negotiate with sin. He doesn't negotiate with the little terrorists living in Jericho. We have to talk about the kids, though. I don't ever want to dodge the hard stuff. So we have to take this little excursus. This is why the sermon feels weird. John, what about the kids? Well, I'm going to give you a couple examples or a couple theories that I have. Because I've thought about that all this week. What about the kids? Man, i got kids. Well, first of all, we have to do away with this idea that kids are innocent. They're not. <laughs> They're born wicked, little, selfish diaper poopers. Right? They don't get fed, meh, puke projectile all over the place. Now they're cute, wicked, but wicked still wicked, right? So we got to get that out of the way. But here's the second thing. If you think about how many of their children they're selling into slavery, they're selling to be uh, uh, prostitutes, how many of them they're sacrificing to Molech, there may not have been a lot of children in this selfish and wicked city, for one. But number two, because I know that theory is like, that's speculation, Your Honor. Okay, well, get, let me give you another one. Is it doesn't matter whether you're 80 years old or 8. If you understand who God is and you haven't turned to Him in faith, you're still under God's justice. And that's just the truth. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm saying that because I love you. So if you're a child and you're thinking that, oh, you know what? I, you know, God loves me because I'm cute. No, you need to, in faith, you need to turn to Christ and ask Him to change your heart and to change your life. But third, and this is probably the best one that I can come up with, and this is how, you know, the mercifulness of God, is that I believe that there is an age of understanding with human beings. 
That there's an age of accountability, so to speak. And I want to be careful how I say this because I know in this room there's many people that have lost children. My wife and I have lost children in miscarriage, right? Uh, the hardest funeral I ever had to do was an 18-month-old little boy from our church. No rhyme or reason. How do you explain that? Well, Scripture seems to give us this idea that there might be an age of understanding or an age of accountability by which before that you're not even really aware of right or wrong or God or how to pray or even turn to him in faith or what that is. And we get that from David's experience in adultery. David conceived a child with Bathsheba in adultery. And, and he was called out and he repented of his sin. But one of the things he was told by the prophet is that that child was going to be taken from him. And we believe all scriptures God breathed. And, and, and one of the things that David said in that whole experience about the child after the child died, the, it was an infant. He says, I can go to him, but he cannot return to me. Did you catch that? I can go to him. Meaning one day when I'm with the Lord in eternity... That's where my child will be. But he can't come back here to me. And so David got up from his dust and ashes and he cleaned up and he went to church. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And so that gives us a little hint that, you know what? For those that were too young to understand, really what happened was merciful. Because if we believe in a loving God, a merciful God, that they were embraced by their heavenly father. It was probably the most merciful thing that could happen. And I know in 2018 where PETA doesn't even want us to shoot a squirrel. I mean, that's hard to take, right? But he's a for real God who is sovereign. He's a for real God who is just and hates and judges sin. But he is a God you can trust that is merciful and loving and good. And we see his mercy shown to Rahab. We see his mercy shown to her household. His mercy to you and me because this serves as an example of why I need to be right with God. And then last but not least, we see in this story God's grace. We see his grace. You say, well, where is the grace given? Well, remember, justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Do you know what grace is? Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Who received a great, bless, a great blessing? Who received a great victory that they didn't deserve, nor did they earn? The Israelites. The Israelites weren't innocent either. Spoiler alert. Come back next week and you're going to find out that they weren't perfect. That a few screwed it up for everybody. That's how it always happens, right? That sin is contagious. They didn't deserve the victory in Jericho. They didn't deserve to take the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron for the Lord's treasury. They didn't deserve any of that. They didn't deserve Canaan. But God gave them this blessing. Why? Because they believed by faith. And they acted by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30 it says, By faith the walls of Jericho came down. God showed his grace to them and gave them what they did not deserve because by faith they believed. They just took a walk for seven days. The same one over and over. And then they blew their tubas and they shouted really loud and they went to work. And God showed his grace to them. God also showed his grace to Rahab and her family. Because not only was her life spared, but she was adopted She was given a new identity. 
right? And I'm sure it wasn't overnight. She's lived her whole life in Jericho. She's a prostitute. She's outside the camp, and they're like, okay, uh, this is what God expects. This is who he is. That's the Ark of the Covenant. Don't touch that, by the way. Um, yeah, you're going to have to clean yourself up. Oh, prostitution? No, uh, you can't do that anymore. We'll stone you. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Get a new job real quick. All right. I'm going to kind of reform my ways. I'm going to repent for a minute. Yeah, that's a good idea, right? And apparently she did. She experiences that mercy. She experiences that grace. She gets married into the family and becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Is that not grace? And not only her, but everyone she could fit into that house who by faith also received God's mercy and God's grace. There's great grace in this story. By faith, Rahab was spared. By faith, she became one of the children of the promise. By faith, she inherited Canaan with all the rest of them. God is sovereign. That's how we understand this story. And God is just. He's the only one who has the right to judge sin. God is merciful. And sometimes we, we can get really caught up in, in, in wanting mercy for everyone. God's not that way. If you don't turn to him by faith, he's not going to force his will on you. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a verse. Look it up. Well, is just calling enough? Yeah. Faith. And faith, whether it's one step, one small step, or if it's seven times in a mighty shout, whatever that looks like, But if by faith, I take that step, mercy and grace is mine. And I don't have to fear the judgment or the justice of a holy God. You see, all of this literal stuff, it's pointing to the spiritual. It's pointing forward to the cross. It's pointing to the gospel. Just like all of the New Testament is pointing back to Jesus and back to the gospel. What can we understand from this? That God is ruler over everything. He is sovereign over everything. That's why we worship. That's why we bow down. And in his sovereign rule, we don't get a vote. But we are asked to respond. By faith. Whether it's one step or seven times, we can also learn that God is just and He hates sin. And that the little Jerichos in our heart, they're not to be negotiated with. He loves you and hates your sin. He died for you, but He hates that little terrorist outpost called Jericho and He wants you, with his help, to deal with it ruthlessly. To not negotiate with it. To take no prisoners. And in his mercy, he'll redeem it. By his grace, we're saved. You know, one of the first scriptures that I memorized as an adult is is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And I never wanted to forget that verse because, you know, I didn't want to be someone that thinks... 
you know, ever that I earn God's grace by how good of a person that I am. And I never wanted to forget on the other side that, hey, I can be wicked just like anyone else. And it's only grace that saved me. It's not by works or anything else. So, you know, I remember printing it out and putting it right on the treadmill because I was running all the time, you know, trying to be a pro athlete. And, and it was memorized this verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's the foundation of the gospel. The foundation of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. In this story, you can either be one of the Canaanites and sit under God's justice, or you can be Rahab and her household and be saved by grace through faith. Would you just say that with me? Say, by grace through faith. Don't ever forget it. Tattoo that someplace. It's by grace through faith. Not by how good you are. Not how much you serve. Not how many steps of obedience. The only faith step is just one small step. Jesus said, what was it? Faith the size of a mustard seed. You know, can move a mountain. Right? I'm starting to think that I wonder, maybe Jesus, the mountain uh, that he had in mind was the mountain of my sin. Right? Right? So just this amount of faith and the mountain of my sin gets chucked into the sea. It's by grace through faith. By grace through faith. And that faith is acted on in obedience. That's what Jesus calls us to. To put our faith in what he did on the cross. To say because he died, his blood pays for my Jerichos. And now that he's paid for it, will I be ruthless in eradicating them? Or am I going to hang on to them? Don't do that. Don't do that. What does it say in the King James? His justice cometh and that right quick. This is a God, if anything, that we should see is not to be trifled with. Has the authority. Scripture says one day he will come to judge the living and the dead. And the question for us this morning is how will he find you? How will he find us? He has authority over life. I don't know. Maybe I'm done today. Maybe I'm done right now. Be a good way to go. You don't think so? Preaching? That'd be a great way to go. We don't know what we're guaranteed. But if we've received God's grace through faith, we know we receive His His mercy. You know, all of this story, the story of Jericho, it's really a story of the universe. Because scripture teaches that the armies of the Lord are coming, right? This is where people start looking at me like I'm a weirdo. Don't ever be embarrassed of that, that Jesus is coming back. Let's not be too cool for school, church. Oh, don't talk about that part. We sound kind of old-timey and weird. Uh, Jesus said it. The Bible says it. Why wouldn't we say it? That we're watching our world be just like Jericho, participating in all of those sins. And God says in His justice, He is coming back. That's why we need to receive His grace by faith. We'll receive His mercy. We'll be given what we don't deserve. I mean, it's like... In the spirit realm, it's like the armies of the Lord are circling. I don't know. Are we on day one? Are we on day six? Are we on the seventh day? And they've made lap number three? 
But this serves as a warning for us. Because in this Jericho that we called life, we have an opportunity. And this is the call this morning. If you're not in Rahab's house, you need to get in there. You need to get in that place where the red cord is hanging out the window and saying, I don't know about all that other stuff, but I'm going to take a step of faith. And I want to receive that mercy and that grace. I need to be in that house. I'm not being a fear monger. I'm giving it to you straight because I love you. If you're not a Christian today, make that decision. If you are a Christian today and you're struggling with this stuff, that's okay. But we're still saved by grace through faith. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. We tell you this directly from the Lord. That means this came straight from Jesus. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Hmm, where did we hear that this morning? With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. There's those tubas again. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. There's a shout. There's a trumpet. There's an army. There's the Lord. And the walls of this Jericho are going to crumble. Whose house are we going to be in? I know where I'm going to be. So what do you do with this message? The band's coming. We're going to, we're going to worship this sovereign God. And, 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 and if you're a Christian today and, and this wasn't enough, that's okay. Chew on it. Marinate on it. Meditate on it. If you're listening or watching it online, do the same thing. Think about God's justice. Be like Jacob. Wrestle with him. God, I don't think you're fair. Holy and just and perfect and sinless God, I think you missed it on this one. That's a great, hey, that's a great discussion. Take it to him. I'm just the messenger. And I think what you'll find, the same thing that I find, is I, is I start talking myself out of my own argument. And I come to this place of submission. The same way Jacob had to tap out when he wrestled all night with the Lord. And if it's his mercy, God, how dare you show mercy to those people? They're wicked, they're vile. Yeah, better show them mercy because I want it too, right? These things are all worth arguing about with God and meditating on and coming to a place of acceptance. But it should also be instructive for us to deal with those Jerichos, those strongholds. That we're called to not only lay siege to, but to deal with ruthlessly. Because if anything, we learn how much God hates our sin. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why his blood was shed. That's why his body was broken. Probably most importantly today is an appeal To any person, young or old, that hasn't in faith received God's grace, do it. Do it now. I beg you. Because He loves us. He's worth it. In grace, He's promised us goodness, adoption, a new identity. 
but he'll respect your decision. And until you do, he's not going to come in. Would you bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Lord, thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that you're just. Thank you that you're merciful. Thank you for your grace. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his victory that was secured on the cross by his death, his resurrection, conquering our enemies. God, as we wrestle with you, as we wrestle with the literal, help us to deal with the spiritual and to turn to you in faith and receive what you've promised. God, that's my prayer for every single individual, every family, for this church and all her locations. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, church, say amen.